0: Hi, I'm Pastor James, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church in Hillsborough, Oregon. Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. Our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so each weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please visit our website at www.isunrise.com. I-S-O-N-R-I-S-E Now from there you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you grow along the journey of life with others, develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost and then learn how to lead other people to know Jesus Christ. Now on to our weekend message. Today we begin a new series. <laughs> I haven't said that in 70 weeks. Uh, today we begin a new series and it's through the book of Psalms. Very excited about what we're going to see. But each week we'll try to help us connect back with the original understanding of the Psalms. Now what I mean by that is not that it's a secret information or that we've missed something in a huge way. But we have to admit, as people that live today in our modern culture culture in this year, 2017, that we can miss a lot of the Old Testament. New Testament as well. Some of the Psalms we're going to be reading are 3,000 years old. So they were already ancient at the time of Jesus, okay? Now when we think about studying the Bible or opening up the biblical text, one of the things we have to do, and especially is true of a pastor or a student of the Bible, is we have to understand that we cross bridges to go back. We have to cross a bridge of time. They lived in a different time, Uh, a a bridge of history, how many years have passed and the changes that have gone on, a bridge of language, because they didn't speak English. Uh, They spoke Hebrew in the Old Testament. And it's not just learning the word, but the nuances, the understanding of the word. We have to cross a bridge of culture. And as we cross that bridge, we have to somehow put ourselves into their world as much as we could understand their world, just like they would be completely missing our culture. And then once we've studied it, we bring it back to today. So how should I live my life now? And a lot of what we're going to discover in Psalms is that I think we miss a lot of the beauty of the Psalms. We're in a, a modern Western culture we've been raised in a certain education system known as a Western system based upon a Greek understanding of life it dates back to several thousand years and everybody in the Americas North and Central and South and Europe we all are ingrained in a certain way of thinking but the Bible the writers of the Bible especially in the Old Testament completely different it was an ancient Eastern system of understanding life And their way of life and their way of thinking, their way of writing and expressing themselves is completely different than how we do it. And so we might be able to read the words, but we can miss the understanding. Now, I discovered this really in a hard way about nine years ago when I first went to East Africa to train pastors. It wasn't about the words themselves that were difficult to communicate. It was the idea around the words. For example, even today, still, in East Africa and the Middle East obviously in China and Japan and things like that, the way of thinking is Eastern, my way of thinking is Western. Their way of thinking is concrete, my way of thinking is abstract, again, because of our education system. My children, growing up, they're very concrete thinkers, they reach a point at a certain age where they start to think more in the abstract, more in the ideas, more in the concepts up here than just the things you can touch and feel. But because of the educational system and the way of life, there's very much at every age only concrete thinking. And so it's important for people to go over there to communicate in pictures and ideas. Well, what's fascinating is that's actually how the Bible communicates. They are much more in tune with the scripture when they read it because they resonate with it from their very core of all ages. They understand how the Bible speaks. We miss a lot of that. In fact, even in our language, we understand this. We have a lot of figures of speech in our language. We have idioms. We have expressions. We have sayings. But if you just use the words and break the words down, they don't mean what we're trying to say. I wrote a few of them down here just by way of illustration. Some of the things that we might say that if we were to digest the words, we don't mean those words. For example, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Now, we don't really mean that, right? If someone were to write that down in a thousand or three thousand years, pull up this piece of text that says, don't put all your eggs in one basket. They would say, I wonder why not? Did eggs somehow propagate when you put more than one together? Would they ru-? You know, what, what's the reasoning? Well, it's just a, it's just an expression. It's a figure of speech. It's an idiom. It's a it's a way we talk and we get it right. But it doesn't mean what the actual words say. It means something else. For example, it was raining cats and dogs. I would love to see that, because the dogs are probably chasing the cats on the way down, right? Uh, How about this one? Never look a gift horse in the mouth. I love that. That's that's as picturesque as it can be. You know, don't you know? We know the history. Don't examine the teeth. Don't don't criticize what you're given for free. Or how about this one? A watched pot never boils. That's not true. But it feels like it's true, right? Or this one, don't let the cat out of the bag. I remember driving my boys to school a couple years ago, a number of years ago, and we were talking about a, a, you know, something fun for mom. And I said, now, don't let the cat out of the bag. And I tell you, it took like 10 minutes to explain that. Because I just assumed they understood I meant don't let the secret out. They were, they were really concerned that I had a cat. Why did I put the cat in a bag? <laughs> Dad, don't we like cats? I didn't have the heart to tell him otherwise. Um, or this one, he's got a burr in his saddle. Ooh, that's Western. That's like Western America. That's cowboy, right? A burr in the saddle. You you get that. Uh, This is one that I wasn't raised in, in the the Midwest or in California, but it's great. In the South, I've heard it. I've even heard it in sermons. That dog won't hunt. And that that means nothing to me, but it means something to them. That dog won't hunt. That's just not going to work. That's not going to fly. Or how about this one? That's all she wrote. (laughs) Who is she and why did she stop writing? I have no idea. But that's all she wrote. Uh, People who live in glass houses should not throw stones. Ooh, that's a good one. That's a good one. Uh, This one, I, I always found humorous. This is like a grandma saying, that's about as useless as a screen door on a submarine. Isn't that good? I like that. A screen door on a submarine. And so, Ma, Grandma, why would they put that on the submarine? It's like, whoa, you're missing the point. See, we do that with the Bible. We come—I'm going to talk about the Psalms. We come to the Psalms, and we dig into the Psalms, and we read the words at the surface level, but we miss a lot of the heart. We miss a lot of the heart. Uh, I became a follower of Christ when I was 15 years old. And early on in my faith journey, I was challenged as a high school junior, senior, to start reading the book of Psalms every month, the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs would instruct me on wisdom to my head. And the book of Psalms would instruct me on the feelings to my heart. And I began doing that. I've done that ever since for all these years. And for me, it's been a journey of taking God's words in the Psalms and entering into the situation, and more than that, seeing how the writers, like David, express their heart to God, and that 's given me an ability to get out of my normal expression and express my feelings to God. Now, I want to test you on that i want to kind of walk you on a journey of that right now. I want to read a scripture we 're not going to study this week, but it 's so picturesque it 's filled with metaphors it 's filled with the beauty of words, and it 's not something that 's going to affect your your head. It's something that I hope affects your heart. So just do me a favor, close your eyes for this little exercise, and I want to read the words of Psalm 18. Psalm 18 is a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord. He sang this song to the Lord on the day the Lord rescued him from all his enemies and from Saul, his king. He sang these words I love you, Lord. You are my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my savior. My God is my rock in whom I find protection. He is my shield, the power that saves me, and my place of safety. I called to the Lord, who is worthy of praise, and he saved me from all my enemies. The ropes of death entangled me. Floods of destruction swept over me. The grave wrapped its ropes around me. Death laid a trap in my path. But in my distress, I cried out to the Lord. Yes, I prayed to my God for help. He heard me from his sanctuary. My cry to him reached his ears. Now I tell you, my friends, as you open your eyes, that is impacting to the heart. Because some of us have felt that even recently. Maybe our enemy was a physical issue. Maybe a relational issue. Maybe the distress we were feeling was something that was totally out of our control and all we could do is cry out to God. David is not afraid to use such beautiful picturesque words like the cords of death surrounded me and drug me down. Psalm 40, the water is up to my neck and I'm sinking in the deep. And there is no foothold for my feet. Or I'm stuck in the mud and the mire. And I can't get out. Are those beautiful words? Because if you've felt a physical issue this week. Maybe your enemy is cancer. Maybe your enemy is a disease. An illness that won't go away. Maybe literally your enemy is a person. I know we often think of ourselves as nice people. But let's be honest. Sometimes people oppose us. We have this book that we're going through in our family. It's called The Songs of Jesus. It's 365 Days Through the Psalms, written by Tim and Kathy Keller. And it's great because it opens up maybe six or seven verses a, a day, and we kind of plow through that. And there's so many beautiful picturesque words. And Tim Keller's a lot more intellectual than I am, and so I have to explain words to my kids as I read them. But one of the things that's funny is to watch the expression on my boys' eyes when I read words like this, break the teeth of my enemies, O God. See, we don't pray that little Sunday school prayer at night with our kids, right? And dear Lord, break the teeth of the bully who's attacking my son, right? Well, David did. I mean, he even said this, man, this is, this is offensive. Bash their babies against the wall. Wow. That's some harsh stuff. That's a fun little devotional to read to your kids at night. Yeah. But it's expressing complete Anger, frustration, and dependence upon God. And I love the Psalms for that. And today the Psalm we're going to read, Psalm 1 is going to express that. It's the gateway, the doorway to all the psalms. And it's a beautiful psalm because it uses a form of Hebrew poetry that's says a compare and contrast. And it's a form of parallelism. And it's exciting because you see two pathways, you see two lives, you see two evidences of that life out in the community, and it's basically something we all could read. It's just six verses, and it's very beautiful. But as we read the words, the words are more than just those words. It's the feelings. It's the emotions. So let's dig into this as we take a look at it. I'm just going to read it. We'll kind of go back and make some comment. And kind of walk through this. First of all uh, I I have a confession this summer everything is going to be the NIV for me because when I started reading and memorizing Psalms over 30 years ago that's what I was in and I was reading the NIV so it's hard as a communicator if you've memorized something and then to speak it in a different translation I will just butcher the text I don't want to do that. So if you have a chair Bible good for you. Um, But it's not going to be all the same words. So here's what we've got. Blessed is the man now again the NIV was finished in 1984, compiled in the 70s, written in the 70s. So it doesn't have some of the inclusive gender language that we use today like a person or people or things like that. But in the Hebrew, it just meant anyone, a man or a woman. But... Being a male-dominated culture and that uh, you know, direction, it would just say man, like for mankind. So blessed is the man or the woman, the, the young person, the teenager, the older senior. Blessed is the person, the man, who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of the mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. But he goes on to say, and he turns the corner here, not so the wicked. They're like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Now that's Psalm one. Two roads, two destinies, two directions, two perspectives on life. And at the end of everything today, I'll ask the question which one are we on and which one do we want to be on? Who do we really want to be in this story? Do we want to be the tree or do we want to be the chaff? Do we want to be a blessed person or do we want to be a scoffer and a mocker of God? Do we want to be worthless or do we want to be so beneficial to other people? Those are the directions for our life. So let's go back to the very beginning, and I just kind of want to break down a few words. First of all, he says blessed. It's a great word because it means filled with joy or overflowing with joy. Uh, In fact, uh, a little known fact here, if you were to read Psalm 1 and look at the structure of it, and then open in the Sermon on the Mount, you would discover that it's the same structure Jesus used. Now, before we accuse him of plagiarism... He's the author of Psalm one, so we're good. Okay, it's just self plagiarism. Okay, so, but he starts the the, the whole sermon of the mount with what? Blessed, blessed are the, and he has a list. It means fortunate, but not in the fortunate that where well, you're lucky, not even close. It's not like hey, somebody won the lottery. We all played, but there's just one of us that wins. It's not like that at all. It means the kind of fortune that comes from a person who works hard and achieves something. They're blessed because they've received the reward that their life Has been doing all the work for. Okay. So happy is the person. Satisfied. Fulfilled. They're able to look back at their life and go. This is exactly what I've been working for. And God now has honored me because of it. All right. So blessed is the man. Blessed is the woman. Who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Now there's going to be a progression here. There's obviously a direction. A certain way away from God. uh, And nobody normally I would say. Only a few people in my lifetime. Ever gets to the end quickly. They walk a progression. They never really imagine where they're going to go, but that's just where they end up. But first of all, he says they walk and and it's just a direction. They head in the direction of wicked people the council of the wicked. Now the, the picture here is when you come into a city, not like this today, but in the ancient day there were walls around cities for fortification, for protection there were gates, city gates heavily fortified gates, they'd open the gates during the day, people would come in, go out, there'd be commerce, people would buy and sell, people from other cities people that lived outside, they would go in but you would always start at the city gates and in the Bible you see there's a lot going on at the city gate, that's the place of decision making, that's where the elders of the city would sit. That's where the people would gather together if they had disputes, conversations, business dealings right there in the city. And and what he's describing here, the psalmist is describing is that this exists for a city, but it also exists for humanity, our places that we go to. And he describes, he says, well, blessed is the man or the one who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked. Listening to the other people. The people whose hearts are far from God are speaking volumes. Blessed is the man or the woman that doesn't listen to that. Because if you walk in that, if you walk down that pathway, you're not just going to take in the information. It's going to slowly begin to change you. Because here's the next thing. Or stand in the way of sinners. Notice this guy was walking. Blessed is the man that doesn't walk. In the council of the wicked. But now he stops walking and he hangs out. He hangs out with the sinful people. They're actively sinning. He doesn't stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of the mockers. Mockers are scoffers. The book of Proverbs has a lot to say about that. People who, uh, first of all, they deny the existence of God. Psalm says a couple times, you know, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Okay, but it's not just enough to be a fool. He has to be a scoffer or mocker and he has to laugh at people and deride people who believe otherwise, who believe in the Bible, who believe in something that God has said, who believe in Jesus Christ. There's a lot of people in the world today that are scoffers and mockers of God. Now, you never think you're going to end up there, especially good church people that go to Sunday school when they're kids. Right. But a lot of them were good church people. That went to Sunday school when they were kids. Because they started walking down a path. It's a natural progression. Now for me, I like to memorize the pictures. I like to memorize the words. So for me, I just have it this way. Instead of the word walk, I have the word stroll. Okay, you're casually strolling down. So blessed is the man who doesn't stroll, who doesn't stand, and who doesn't sit. Okay, that works for me. Because if you find yourself strolling, eventually you'll stop and stand, and ultimately you'll end up sitting. That's the progression of a person who ends up far from God. They don't start that way, but they end up that way. And then he says this but his delight is in the law of the Lord. His joy is in the law of the Lord. It's not a drudgery, it's not just diligence and discipline. It's it's delight to open up the Bible, God's words, and to dig into it. Eugene Peterson, in his uh, writings on Psalm 1, says this. I think it's pretty pretty beautiful. He says, when, when the word law shows up, obviously, we think about it as a negative term. We don't like the law. If you work for the law, if that's your, you know, you wear a badge or whatever, we're afraid of you, right? You know, especially when you have a car and you drive by, we naturally panic. And if there are lights, we just go into a heart attack, right? Because, okay? we, we, you know, we don't want to be caught. We think of the law. Is a negative term. But the Hebrews, the Jews would have thought of the law as a positive thing. God is instruction. It's the word Torah. It's the Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the Pentateuch. It's God's word for us. It's God's heart for us. It's God's teaching. Now, Eugene Peterson says this, That is fascinating when you work at, look at the word Torah, it's, it's actually the law. It's a verb that has a picture of something being tossed in our direction, as in like a javelin being thrown. Now, think about that. God's words, his Bible, is being hurled at us with energy so that it sticks into us and opens us up and exposes us. That's what God's law does to us. Now, that's that's actually what the New Testament writer says in Hebrews. The writer of Hebrews says this. In 412, for the word of God, the law of God, the teaching, the hurled spear, the javelin, the word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two edged sword cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. So the writer of Psalm one says that's exactly what God's word does. And this guy who's blessed meditates on it day and night. He he thinks about it. He surrounds himself. He wraps himself in the words of God. He meditates on the law of God day and night. Let's go back to Psalm 1 there. It's delight. It's his joy to consume the word. Now, the word meditate uh, literally means to mutter or to speak to yourself. And usually if you do that, you either have a Bluetooth headpiece or you're a little insane, right? Okay, and sometimes it's hard to tell when people are on the street which is which. But you're just always talking about it. It's what it is. You're contemplating it. You're pondering it. You're considering it. You're mulling it over. You're thinking it through. That's what it means to meditate, to chew on it, to kind of digest it, chew it. For me, the picture is never more clear than uh, my grandpa in a 1972 Dodge Valiant, light blue four-door, slant six engine, automatic transmission, perfect for Sunday rides in Indiana, up and down the hills where you lose your stomach, right? awesome things, great, horrible suspension, but it was a lot of fun, so we went one day to go in the car, grandpa's car, grandma's in the front, uh, I, I remember I'm there, I think my brother and sister are there, we're in the back seat, <laughs> days before seatbelts, God bless America, that was so much fun, um, you know, when the, the door opens up in the back as you turn the corner and grandma shuts the door, I remember that, you know, never fell out, close, um, but we're sitting there in my grandma and grandpa's driveway, 3 Alhambra Avenue, Frankfort, Indiana. We're sitting there. The car's warming up. And he's sitting there and he reaches into his mouth. Now, my grandpa had dentures. My grandma had dentures. That's kind of weird as a kid to see your grandparents take their teeth out, okay, and put them in a jar. It's kind of weird. But he's sitting there and he reaches in the dentures and he's doing something and he pulls out a big piece of tomato from lunch. And, again, I will never forget this. You might, but I won't. And so he looks at it and he puts it back in his mouth and finishes it. <laughs> That's meditating right there. Now, it wasn't premeditated, but it's meditating. Meditating. It's like, I'm going to pull this one out and chew on it some more and get a little more nourishment stick it back in. And a little bit later in the day, I'm going to pull it out. I'm going to gnaw on it a little bit more. I'm going to take a bite so I can find nourishment all through the day, right? That's meditating on the Word of God. Not just reading it and forgetting it, but letting it soak itself deep into our heart because we continue to chew on it. All right. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good picture. It is. It is. I will never forget it. All right. He meditates day and night. This man, this woman, is constantly focusing on the law of God that opens up his heart, that reveals right and wrong. And he exposes himself to the text of scripture that exposes our hearts to God. It's a beautiful picture. It's a wonderful picture. That God is hurling his energies of truth to you and to me, so that when it sticks, it opens us up. Now, for me, I've made it a practice since coming to Christ to spend what we call a daily time with God, and it's typically about an hour, typically at five in the morning, I set my alarm, I get up, and I I just spend an hour reading the Bible and praying, and I have prayer lists, and I go through all the church prayer lists every morning, and I have missionary lists, and I have family lists, I got a lot of lists, okay, and I just kind of walk through that. Half of it is about reading the Bible, half of it is about praying, that's it, and I go through the Bible every year, and sometimes I read through Psalms and Proverbs as well every month, and I digest through that, and that's That's great. Um, But, you know, sometimes I find nothing new. You've probably had that happen, right? You're like, yeah, yawn. I've read all this before, especially when you're talking about the list of names and genealogies. But it was fascinating just to give you a glimpse of, you know, what I encountered last week. I'm reading through Ezra. And Ezra's got a lot of genealogies about people going back into the land. God's restored the law. The temple's been rebuilt. And Ezra, as the restorer of the law, the the heart of God to his people, he comes back after an absence and he's just mortified. He's horrified to see the people of God doing a sinful thing. Very clear in the text what they're doing. And they're okay with it. And God clearly says, don't do this. And so he he rips his clothes. He pulls out part of his beard. I love that. And, and he throws dirt, ashes on his forehead and sits there in despair. And they're like, what's wrong with Ezra? You know, what's up? And he goes, you're committing a sin. It's very grievous sin to God. And you've already known about this. But somehow in my absence, you, you've all done this thinking it's OK, but it's not OK. What are you going to do about it? And people come back to him and they say, well, We're going to repent of this like you've modeled repentance and brokenness. We're going to change our ways and it's going to be very costly. It's going to be a serious sacrifice to do this, but we want to honor God. And it goes on and lists the names of all the people that do this. And then it lists a couple names, about four names. And they stood up and said, no, we're not going to do that. We would rather do what we want to do than listen and obey the words of God. Now, I've, I've read that story at least 30 times. But it's the first time I saw those four names. And their diligent desire to disobey the scripture. <laughs> and I thought to myself, why are we like that? And then thankfully God asked me the question, yeah, James, why are you like that? I'm like, oh man, you know, I'm like that sometimes. I know exactly what I'm supposed to do. I know the words of God, but I, I would rather do something else. And then I started thinking about my pastoral counseling and pastoral ministry. And every once in a while, I run into a believer who says, I'm going to do what I want to do. I don't care what the Bible says. I don't care what you think. This is what my heart desires. I'm going to do it because God wants me happy. <laughs> my God. You're not going to find that in the Bible. <laughs> he wants you holy and happiness is a result of that. Okay, but what are you going to do? He goes, this guy, this gal throughout my seasons, every once in a while I would say, I'm just going to dig my heels in and I'm going to do what I want to do. And so I guess we're not alone in that. And that was a little bit of what I gathered. This was a couple days ago in my reading. And that that was with me throughout the day. Because my heart wants to do things that God's word says to not do. Or what God's word says to do, I don't want to do sometimes. And so I'm in that same boat. My name could have been one of those four names. Will it be one of those four names? Or will I be with the other list? Who says, as costly as it is, I'm going to choose to follow God. Now, see, for me, that's meditating and thinking about it day in and day out, letting it kind of ruminate in my heart. But the cool thing here, it says he, this person, because he delights in the law of the Lord and meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields his fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Now, for you and for me, that's not a big deal. We think about trees. We got millions of trees right here. When the Pacific Northwest is beautiful. We think about trees by streams. And we go yawn. We have that everywhere. Think about it. Think about it. They live in the Middle East. A very dry, arid desert area. If you've gone to Israel. There are regions where there are trees. There's a lot of just scrubs. Just a lot of just brush. If you go to Egypt. You go down along the Nile, there's some green along the Nile, but other than that, it's desert. You go out to Syria, you go out to Babylon, you go out to Susa, you go out to those places that the Bible describes, Nineveh, those regions that still exist, it's a desert. And so in contrast to that, this guy, because he meditates day and night, and it changes him, he becomes like a tree planted by streams of water. Now, to help you with this, I found this. This is in the Valley of the Kings and Queens in Luxor. This is on one of the walls of the pharaohs that ruled there. I myself didn't see it. I was in some of those tombs years and years ago down in Luxor, uh, able to take no pictures. (laughs) I think I snuck one in. Um, But um, this is a part of a larger painting. And this pharaoh, this is his vision of the afterlife, the life of paradise. And what does it include? It includes a stream with all these trees alongside the water bank with all of this fruit being borne by these trees and these bushes. That was paradise. That was unusual. This was like the future heaven. So to be a tree planted by streams of water, that is a miracle. Few people are like trees planted by streams of water bearing fruit in their season without leaves that wither. Now, so for me, this is how I ask it, so I can think about it. You're going to stroll, you're going to stand, you're going to sit. That's a progression. That's a path. Or you're going to choose to soak. You're just going to choose to soak in God's words. How many of you have a hot tub? Raise your hand. Real big. A couple of you. All right, invite me over because I don't have one. Um, but um, but well, well, the thing is, you get in a hot tub, you soak in it, it's hot. It's a tub. Thank you. Um, and, and so you're just there. And with your friends, you're just enjoying that. Just, it changes you. It tires you out, right? It, it mellows you out. And so that's the word of God. The very words of God. You soak in those words. They permeate your life. They work their way into every fiber of your being. That's what God's word does. So you can choose to stroll, stand, or sit. Or you can choose to soak. Which one is it for you? Now, then the writer wraps this up. He says, but not the wicked. Not so the wicked. They're like chaff that the wind blows away. Chaff, of course, we know this. It's, it's the outer part of the grain, the husk, the covering. And you break that up and then you throw it up in the air. The wind blows the lighter, worthless chaff away. And the heavier seed falls down to the ground. And you collect the seed and you either you know, make it into some kind of a bread or you plant it or whatever you do, eat it. Okay. So it's profitable, but the chaff is not profitable. It's worthless. It's useless. So the question then is, are you like worthless chaff? Benefiting nobody because of your life? Or are you like a tree that's blessing others with your shade or your fruit? And people are benefiting from that. He says here, Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. That place, that gathering of people in the city, that, that important place where the righteous people stand, they're not going to be there. They're not going to be in that. Their judgment is a different judgment. Okay? Because of the way their life has been spent worthlessly, needlessly. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous... That's one of the ways. But the way of the wicked, which is another one of the ways, will perish. So two ways, two roads, two lives, two trees, two, two pictures here. And they end up with ultimate destination of being blessed by God or, or just being empty and wasted and judged by God. And that's the question. Which one are we? So as I was thinking this week I jotted some questions or notes down. A tree is useful. And a tree is fruitful, but chaff is useless and empty. I don't know. When you look at your life right now, are you bearing fruit that blesses other people? Or are you just in this for yourself? Because that's worthless chaff. How about this one? A tree is stable and lasting, but chaff is blown about and blown away. We have just under two acres out south of town there and we, you know, we have some gardens and some fruit trees and things like that. We have two Douglas firs and they're, they're just beautiful, majestic. Uh, when we moved in years ago, you know, that we were told that, um, one of the trees in particular based upon size and strength, probably 500 years old. When I heard that, I swallowed hard. 500 years old? It's like when Columbus decided to sail the ocean blue, this tree began to grow. Wow, 500 years old. I grabbed my kids out there and I said, boys, look at that tree. We are going to come and we are going to go, but that tree is going to last. 500 years old. I don't know what the length of that life. I've been to Sequoias. Those trees are a thousand years old down in the Sierra Nevadas. Think about that. We had that crazy windstorm a month ago or so. They said up to 91 mile an hour winds, and we probably had 90 because we're right there in that part of town where south where the wind blows over the valley, and it was strong, and it was 630 in the morning, and there was something going wrong on our roof, and I got out, and my wife joined me. I hate heights. We're on a two-story building at 90 whatever that was at least 70-mile-an-hour winds out there, and just blowing like crazy. And uh, that'll wake you up in 6.30 in the morning. Okay, we're out there. And it, it was just one of those experiences that our trees didn't shudder because they've been through this for 500 years. Now, we lost some branches. We have a great burn pile. I'm not allowed to burn it, if you know anything about my history. Um, <laughs> I'm not to be trusted with matches, um, but my wife will take care of it this week and send me pictures. All right, I will stay very far away because of PTSD. Um, so, so the bottom line is this, is that, yeah, there will be storms in life. We all experience storms, but if your tree is rooted down deep, you're going to weather those storms. They're all going to be seasons. We're not always in a great season, right? A fruitful season. Yeah, but our leaves are not going to wither. Because we're planted firmly near the stream of life. A tree bears fruit and blesses others. But chaff doesn't bring any blessing. And finally, godly living matures, nurtures, and bears life. This is the bottom line. While ungodly living leaves a person empty, hungry, unsatisfied, and starving. So which one do we find ourselves in? Now, Psalm 1 is one of my favorite psalms. Memorized it years ago. I have this in my office at home. This is a Timothy Botts watercolor. And it's just a reminder. It's Psalm 1 in the NIV. What is my life like? Um, I love this psalm so much that when my wife and I were in our house, we are looking at one big wall that was just blank. We didn't know what to do with it. I said, let's paint a picture of a tree with fruit and hang our pictures on it. And this is in our house. And it's massive. And it's just a reminder every time I leave the house or come into the house that we're like trees bearing fruit each season. And our kids are the fruits. And they are definitely fruits and nuts. I, I add to that. Um... But it's a reminder that we as people want to be the kind of people that, as the psalmist described, the birds can take shelter in. The people could come and be blessed under in the shade and be nourished by. Isn't that what we want for our lives? Isn't that what we want for our families? We want to be like strong trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit in a season. And I know our lives can take varying Pathways in life. But the true question is, which path are we on? Are we in a path of blessing or a path really of worthlessness? And the beautiful thing is, the Bible invites us again and again to turn from a a path of uselessness, a path that would lead to destruction, and get on the path of life. Because at any age, at any season of your life, you could plant yourself firmly into the soil of God's word, which then brings up the point. We can't do this on our own, my friends. We can't power our way through this. But it's only through what Jesus has done for us on the cross that he invites us to this lifestyle. He himself loved the Psalms. He quotes the Psalms almost as much as he quotes Deuteronomy, his favorite book. But it was so much a part of his life that it worked its way out. And now Jesus has invited us to join him on this journey and this life. And now we can be planted deep into the roots Of Jesus Christ himself. And then he exposes us. To the truth of God. And it's not always pretty. Because we're looking into a mirror. And yet if we're willing to let him. Make the changes. He will do so in a beautiful gracious way. But if we're not on that path. We're on a path that ultimately leads to destruction and judgment. And I don't know why we would want to stay on that path. Because it is a worthless life. Might feel great in a season, but in the long run, it just completely disintegrates from the inside out. My wife went on a run a couple of years ago. She's called me. She says, "Hey, you know, you got to go on this run." So I went on this run, and she goes, "Look at this tree." And there was this beautiful oak tree that had been out on Mentor Bridge, on a, after a curve, and we would comment on it, on our runs how pretty it was. They had taken it down, but when we looked at the stump. It was evident why they took it down. Although you couldn't have seen it from the outside, it was rotted to the core. And it would have eventually fallen down and caused some damage, maybe even death. But they wisely decided to cut it down. And what was on the inside was revealed. I hope today that what's on the inside is revealed so that you can let Jesus take care of it. Because he will restore. He will restore what's broken. And what's diseased and what's dead. And he'll bring you life. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your words that we've just read. And don't let them just be words to our head, but words to our heart. Don't let us be seduced by the world. Don't let us blindly stroll down the path, the road. Stop or sit among the scoffers and the mockers, Lord. I pray, Father, that we wouldn't choose to sit with cynics and... And join in on that, but we would choose to plant ourselves strongly close to you and soak up the nourishment of your word as we meditate on it day and night so that we would be a life that's blessed to bless others. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.